Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Eyes of the Mize. My name is John. That's Ian. It's me. Hello. Hello. And today is July 9th. This is episode 122 on a bridge to nowhere. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here still. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I didn't hear him. Did everything go wrong? No. No. Uh, so we're going to talk about the uh, BNR announcement that happened on Monday for both um, Wizards as well as there was a major commander shift that occurred. We're going to talk about both of those a little bit later. But first, we're going to turn our eyes to the community per usual uh, because Core 2020 comes out this weekend officially. Yay. Which is, also which is exciting. Going officially into effect. I mean, stores are already been able to do it, but officially, officially is the London Mulligan. Yes. The London Mulligan is now just the Mulligan. It's the law uh, of the land. A- R.I.P. R.I.P. The Vancouver Mulligan. Yep. There's a great video by uh, Lonely Ready Run that was not sponsored, it seemed, um, where Graham goes over what the Mulligan is and how to do it, for those of you who maybe still get confused about it. Uh, In other Mulligan news, Canadian Highlander announced, uh, I think it was today? It is today. That they are going to move on from what they call the Sorensen Mulligan, which is basically you go seven, then you do six twice, then you do five twice, then you do four twice, and so on. Uh, to the London Mulligan. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, Ben Wheeler, uh, good good buddy and such, uh, pot, like basically mentioned why. And uh, basically, he was mentioning adopting... Uh, so his tweet was, starting Friday, July 12th, so this Friday, Canadian Highland will be adopting the London Mulligan, a.k.a. THE MULLIGAN, in all caps, as the official mulligan of the format. I'm very excited for this change, as it offers better overall gameplay, ease of play, and a strong push towards official recognition. I really love those last couple words, because they are really trying to push this format. Somebody actually further on asked him, speaking of official recognition, what can we do as fans of the format to let Wizards Magic know we want this format to be official? And then Ben replied, we would start with changing the name. So... If Canadian Highlander were ever try to become like official or even pseudo official, as in the case of EDH and such, basically it will no longer be called Canadian Highlander, mainly because Highlander is a trademark term, so they technically can't use it, which is kind of yeah, weird. That's why Commander is Commander and not Elder Dragon Highlander anymore. So yeah, and yeah, so it's definitely a thing. Apparently, it passed the uh, board or the. The council. The council. Yes, that's the word. Uh, unanimously. So definitely interesting to see how it goes. Um, we also, the Canadian, basically, they had a little tiny press release or whatever like that. Um, unanimous council vote on the referendum. So there we go. If you play Canadian Highlander and you weren't already using London Mulligan, Second Six, a.k.a. the Source in Mulligan, is no longer all the land for that format as well. Yeah. Uh, also, kind of on eyes on the community, um, Pro, Pro Tour historian Brian David Marshall, Marshall has been on a Twitter thread rant lately. He had one yesterday, and then he had one uh, a couple days ago that we retweeted from the podcast account about how pre-release weekend, kind of as we know it, probably needs to shift and change a lot. Because with being able to play Core 2020 the Tuesday before pre-release on Arena and on Magic Online and being able to play Standard on those platforms before the pre-release, it doesn't feel like a pre-release anymore. Uh, like, I technically forgot that the release was this Friday because I went to go try and, like, order some cards off of uh, our, one of our favorite sites, personally, cardkingdom.com. Uh, we're not cards. paid for, for that endorsement. But um, 
I was just like, oh, right, I'm going to have to wait for Friday for these cars to ship because they're not technically out yet. Yeah, and it's, it, just, it just feels weird. It is incredibly weird. And like that was Brian's main PDM's main reason is that it just does. One of the players at his event had done 20 drafts, 20 on Magic Online by pre-release weekend. That is insane in terms of sheer numbers of that. He made some suggestions of like make it into a release tournament weekend where you have like sealed queues on Friday and Saturday. And then you could do drafts and other first look constructed events on Sunday. But how do you get the cards for Sunday would be weird. Either way, currently like the specialness that used to be about pre-release weekend is gone. And to be fair, I kind of felt that this weekend. So I had a four-day weekend. Granted, I have a lot of other stuff going on in my life. So stress, mental ability to, you know, pick up a new set, whatever, be what you may. In the past, I would on a four-day weekend, a holiday weekend during a release, I would jam five events. I would do the midnight, the two on Saturday, and the two on Sunday. I would do the full degenerate on a four-day weekend because I could. This weekend, I was like, maybe I'll get around to it. And it was Sunday afternoon. I'm like, oh, cool. I never did a pre-release. Eh, no big. And I'm like, who am I? What have I become? Just because it, like, I already had opened two sealed pools on Magic Arena. Like, I was, I got my pre-release fix kind of thing already. I'd already built a sealed pool or two, which is, it was weird feeling. But um, the main reason, so for those of you who might have joined the game recently or never really paid attention to the pro scene, the reason why you can get availability all these cards on magic online or arena already before the pre-release weekend is kind of a vestigial late holdover from a couple years ago where for the pro tour so a lot of why we have this doesn't even exist the reason doesn't even exist anymore so pro tours used to be the week after the release it's like two to three weeks after release yeah yeah so you'd only so these pros would only get like two to three weeks with the cards on magic online they would be like, oh my God, we just don't have enough time to jam draft because they have to learn how to do draft and construct it, which is why teams became such a huge thing because you would have people who would just jam limited and be, and half the team would give the limited device, half the team would give the standard device. They would all merge together after like a week or two. Like the first week would just be people would jam limited. People would jam like standard or constructed. And then that second week, the week of the pro tour, they would combine their efforts, combine the resources and let everybody else know their results. When... Magic Online was like, okay, yeah, we can afford to move these cards into the database earlier, no big deal. They shunted it in there and then bumped pre-release back to actual pre-release weekend before it used to be pre-release online would be the week of set release. So you'd have pre-release in paper and then the week after would be set release and Magic Online pre-release weekend, which is technically like official release weekend, but it was kind of weird and wonky how they did it. And then like the weekend after would be release and then it'd be the pro tour and it was all crazy. So then they basically just aligned it with paper and then they're like well we have the digital stuff anyway let's just bump it earlier in the week so basically on tuesday or whatever or wednesday whenever it would be a patch day back then they'd be like all right patch day new sets implemented on wednesday so you'd actually get like a chance to jam a couple seals on wednesday before your friday pre-release and then now it's like the week before and it's just all craziness now they have the pre the stand the uh, streamer uh preview events and all this stuff and pre I'm not going to bring the PPR for this because that's just its own separate thing that replaced the community cup, but it's everything that existed and why we have the cards ahead of pre-release weekend no longer exists because now the pro tour is a couple weeks after set release, but not quite in this case anymore because it used to be, they bumped it to like eight weeks back or whatever. You wait like a month or two and the format will be solved. But now we have a case where 
literally next week, not next weekend, two weekends from now. So on the 26th to the 28th is the next mythic championship and it's modern though. So we don't have to really worry about standard too much. It's really weird. I mean, my like, thing, my take is um, obviously trying to make sure that the pros had enough testing time is vestigial. And then last year they tried divorcing the pro tours, now mythic championships from set release so that they were no longer as tied to having to release things, but like close to those dates. And now we have seven mythic championships over the course of the year. We have four paper, three arena ones. So now that they don't have to even kind of pretend that they're tied to the set releases. So the reason why to release them early on, on arena or magic online is now not necessarily there. And I know that the professor who is always a advocate for um, paper magic over digital magic, as as well as for your local game stores, he, he's advocating to go back to getting the cards in paper first, because like you said, like I didn't feel that strong of an urge to play a pre-release this weekend. Now, granted, I was also working the entire weekend. I was not going to be able to work like a midnight, go to a midnight pre-release because I go to work at 7 a.m., and I also happen to work two twelves this weekend, which is, you know, not a not a consequence of that. But um, what I would want to see, because I do think that some of the mystique of the pre-release goes away with early release on Magic Online and Magic Arena, just have both sets be released at just have the set be released at the same time on all platforms. Because while releasing it early on Arena and MTGO is great and all, it does I think negatively impact the uh, pre-release from a a player excitement perspective because now limited resources you know there's they still do their set reviews before the pre-release because you need to know you know what cards you're, you're going to want to play but now suddenly they're instead of guessing they actually have good data which is great for what they're trying to do but i think that that takes a lot away from the pre-release experience yeah, it's kind of like that is kind of weird too. They also changed it up, I think, for Core 2020, at least how they did on YouTube. It used to be you just get one giant chonky video, and now they actually they split their the the podcast is chonky. Yeah, the podcast but is still going to be a five hour slog, whether you like it or not. But but the YouTube videos they chunked them up, or they chunked them up into little tiny bites, which I think is like a good idea. Colors. Oh no, it was great. Uh, Marshall and LSV keep it up. That was a nice idea. I liked it. Um, I was I was honestly surprised when I clicked over to it. And I'm like, what the? Okay, I like this. This is a nice new paradigm shift. But yeah, just the fact that they actually have like data. It's like, yeah, I played this. It, it did pretty well in the times I played. It's like, wow, this is just completely different from just completely going into, hey, this is our card evaluation. And they were good at card evaluation. They still are good at card evaluation. I have to say that. But it's more of it lessens some of the effect of like, hey, we we know what we're talking about. We've We've evaluated these in a vacuum. They actually don't have the vacuum anymore. Yeah, so. like it's less of, you know, this type of effect is historically good, so you should play it. Instead, And then it turns out that, oh, no, this type of effect that's historically good is actually bad in this format. Um, one that's popped up that's kind of the reverse was the card Heart Piercer Bow, which was an uncommon in Cons of Tarkir. It's an equipment. It doesn't give any power toughness boost, <clears throat> boost but whenever you attack, the, the, creature deal, it, the bow deals one damage to a creature, I think, I, I want to say. Yeah, and I, I, saw I was watching. I was watching. Yeah, Chris Van Meter was tweeting about how Harper's Bow is really good in this limited form. I'm like, that's kind of surprising because it was really crap in 
Konzatar here, but now that you're, but now you're telling it's really, really good. And he's like, well, A, it's a common, so you can get multiples now, which then you just sh- start shotgunning down X2s, which is definitely what I want to be about. Uh, and then, but also, it's also true that, you know, you take one card out of one format, you put it in a different context, and suddenly it's entirely different. It's so much better. And we see that primarily with cards that are aimed at constructed, but are bad and limited, something like Stony Silence. No one wants to play Stony Silence and Limited, but in constructed is where it shines the most. Yeah, but another thing too with Heartpiercer Bow, like you, you kind of mentioned X2s is the morph thing. Yeah. Like everyone in the mother was playing morphs, so which are X2s, and if you're only doing one damage with an uncommon, you're never going to get the critical mass you need to chunk it on. But it's, it's also a two-mana artifact that equips for one. So you, you can play one on two, equip it on three, attack, or maybe play it on three, equip it, attack with your two drop. Then you play another one on turn four and can equip it and then swing and start really chonking damage away and make things crazy. Yeah. Like it's really decent. So, and, uh, but that's kind of a different side of the conversation. I just think that I don't think this is a decision that Wizards is going to make because they're, they're a company and they like making money. Uh, but uh-huh. I think that they're, I think that I would like to see just a get rid of pre release weekend and make it the, and just turn it into release weekend and release it on all platforms all at once arena magic online and paper yeah um but real quick kind of like you said making money uh another we'll do a brief aside again after this uh before we go to our episode topics uh about a week into having the uh mastery system people are still kind of like this kind of it's kind of chunks man stinks Yeah, I, a lot of the takes it's, I've it, seen it has, on it are not good. It's hit with a, with a dull thud. It has not taken off. It is not. People are actually like, I'm, it's actually disincentivizing me playing. Like, I actually don't. I They're like, I looked at the whole thing once, couldn't grok it at first glance. and was like, I'm not going to take the time to go out of my way to understand this system. Like, it, it needs to be something that you look at it right away. You can be like, okay, I do this. I get this. I do this. I get this. All right, let's go. If you have to kind of be like, well, okay, so if I pay, then I have to get this, and then I have to earn a certain level to get this, and then I can go back to here, put a put a you know an orb in here, and then I unlock it's, this card. It's like to get two this other card teams. Have to do this. It's like two different card teams made a thing, and both one and both got implemented, but there was no communication between them. Almost it was just like, oh crap, we got to put these two things together, and then it just kind of got ham fisted. Yeah, and unfortunately, it stinks, but. We'll see. Again, it's still in beta. Hopefully they listen to the player feedback. And they have actually listened to player feedback pretty decently so far. But we have to take it with a grain of salt yeah. because this is something that actually you have to pay for, which is therefore a monetary-making thing. And we'll probably not have as much... Uh, data. Well, I would say it will have more friction before yeah. it will change. One uh, thing that I will say is um, for the people who complained about um the mastery system and the xp system and whatever and how it's like a daily grind or whatever i just want to be able to this is a, almost a direct quote i'm or i'm paraphrasing from twitter i what happened to paying paying money for goods and services i just want to get a deck and play it i'm kind of burned out on arena for the same reason because seeing the elementals deck doing doing stupid things i'm like i want to play that deck but i had i've maybe opened arena 12 times total on my computer i am not someone who's been playing daily or anything like that and if I wanted to play that deck on Arena, I would basically have to shell out a lot of money to get the wild cards I needed to assemble it. But there is a platform where you can do that. It's called Magic Online. If you want that experience, don't play Arena. 
play Magic online. I know yeah, it's callous, had- but it's the truth. Yeah, there's. I know which thread you're talking about with that one in particular, but yeah, there's two different ch- chains of play, and we fortunately, I, I'm saying actually fortunately, we do have both venues available to us, which we only used to have Magic Online, which was, hey, you're paying regardless, buddy. Um, meanwhile, Arena, if you know how to do it and optimize your lines, you can actually pretty much build those decks and have an entire run of standard cards if you put enough time in. I know. People play casually enough to do that. And you know what? That's cool. I have other stuff going on in my life. Yeah. Fortunately, I'm not playing standard right play, now. Play the, play the program that most works for you. That's, yeah, my, exactly. that's ultimately my take. Like, we this have is not a me choice bashing, now. Yeah, this is not me bashing Arena. It's just that Arena, I think at this point, is not right for me. I And maybe we'll have an episode where I get it, where I can kind of rag on Arena for all the things that I don't like about it. But again, that's just my, my opinion. If you like we'll it, to- awesome. Yeah, we'll have to find a down week when there isn't a set release coming out. Or oh, it'd be an R announcement. <laughs> Look, I was just ragging on the fact that we're like three, four weeks out from Commander 2019 product. Yeah, but but, core, but Commander 2019 is not the same as Core 2020. I will I will I will defend that entirely because Oh no, 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 no. Two no. different products. No. Oh yeah, no, you don't have to you don't have to worry about me on that. Like but Horizons also the... in 2020, I can see why that would create a lot of friction. But 2020 to Commander 2019, that's an entirely different conversation. Yeah, because you're, you're talking about two, two constructed formats. Yeah, you're talking about a booster product and a, and a deck format. Not, Anyways, let's talk about the BNR announcements. Because yeah, so... we had a BNR announcement. The big thing is because, as Ian mentioned, we have Mythic Championship 4 on July 26th, 28th. It is Modern Horizons Limited and it is Modern, the, the constructed format. There were no changes in, in almost every format except for modern, where they where they banned bridge from below. Ian, what the hell does bridge from below do again? Bridge from below is a card, and it's a very weird card because it was originally printed in Future Sight. And if you know anything about Magic history in terms of sets, that'll tell you why this card is weird. So it is a three mana. So it's a it's a black 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 enchantment that does nothing on the battlefield. What? But. It has card text, though. Whenever, so the card reads, whenever a non-token creature is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, if Bridge from Below is in your graveyard, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Whenever a creature is put into an opponent's graveyard from the battlefield, if Bridge from Below is in your graveyard, exile Bridge from Below. So this card is specifically designed to be in your graveyard. Yeah. However you want to do it, whether you're discarding it from hand, whether you just put it into play and destroy it, or you just dredge it over into your graveyard that's what bridge from below does and fun story before we get into kind of the rest of the logic do you know who designed bridge from below is it is it richard garfield it is not richard garfield it was designed (laughs) in the same in the same spurt as dredge all-star narcomoeba by mark rosewater because he was told we need a blue uncommon and a black rare enchantment and he said okay here's two card designs and they put them in the set wow yeah so Bridge from Below is a Mark Rosewater invention, so you can thank him for, for the card. But yeah, it basically what was going on in Modern, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, is the Hogak Bridgevine decks have kind of been running rampant because it's very easy to get a turn two uh, Hogak, especially with Bridge from Below cards like uh, Carrion Feeder, which is a one-mana sacrifice outlet, 
being able to make more zombies and plus you get to play things like grave crawler faithful saluting fetch lands blood ghast it's just really really ridiculous how much power you can put i've seen screenshots where people put 22 power into play on turn two uh with the yeah. deck and it also uses the newly pushed into modern ultra of dementia f- again from modern horizons commander all-star uh, by the way yeah commander absolute commander all-star originally printed in tempest way back in the day only ever reprinted in uh, conspiracy and then got the modern horizons push into the new format uh my alter dimension by the way is a two mana artifact at rare that says sacrifice a creature target player puts a number of cards equal from sacrifice creatures power from the top of their library into their graveyard now, and i know hogak, i mentioned hogak but and real quick for those of you who may not have encyclopedic knowledge of the new cards hogak risen acropolis is a legendary uh creature uh zombie i want to say I Avat- I, it's not even a zombie it's an oh, avatar it's just an avatar oh better yeah. Glad it's not a zombie. It's five green black hybrid, green black hybrid for an eight eight trample. It has convoke and delve, and you can't spend mana to cast it, but you can cast it from your graveyard. Yeah, people looked at it originally and were like, "What is this card?" And it's yeah, a great I'm, commander. I'm, card. A, I'm a derp and didn't sell my copy that I did have. I meant to sell it like <laughs> a week or two ago. So, oops, there's five dollars missed out on. Well, well. Um, yeah, well, whatever, it's five bucks, no big deal. Yeah. Uh, but I can still play it in the commander, which is ironically what it was designed for according to tom tom uh, tom ross who was on the design team for it they didn't realize it would be that busted in modern but anyway this deck just uses all sorts of graveyard strategies with a couple small one drops blood gas it wants to mill stuff over dump stuff into the yard um using if you can mill over stuff with, if you mill over your bridge with an ultra dementia then you can start g- generating zombies which you can then sacrifice to Alter Dimension to put more things in the card, which you can then use to make some zombies, which you can then tap to convoke the black black cost and then delve away five things out of your graveyard. And oh, there's your Hogak, 8-8 on the battlefield. And then you sack your Hogak and dump more cards with Alter Dementia and then build more zombies. And yeah, it just keeps going and going and so going. So my favorite interaction about the deck before we get into kind of the R&D's logic behind it is I was watching a Saffron Olive video of him playing Battle of Wits in Modern, which is which is basically just a huge bat. It's a 260 card deck, 270 card deck with all the combos in it, but also it has Battle of Wits, which for those who don't know, Battle of Wits three blue blue enchantment. Uh, if at the beginning of your upkeep, if you have 200 or more cards in your library, you win the game. And he was playing against Bridgevine, and the Bridgevine player messed up and accidentally F6 through their main phase, so they couldn't do the combo because. When the, when the deck gets going, like Ian was mentioning, where you, like, sack your Hogak, make a bunch of zombies, tap your zombies, recast Hogak, all that fun stuff. After you deck yourself, you can then deck the opponent. And the opponent, A, felt bad about – because he, he thought he had the win, but as it turns out, he did the math. Saffron Olive had about 240 cards in his deck. He could only – the Bridge Mike player could only get to, like, 216 mils. So yeah, that's that's <laughs> bananas. That literally the the Bridgevine player could not mill out a two hundred and forty card deck. But like, you can do like, it two hundred sixteen times. But any other any other deck, they they just lose on the spot. Yeah, you, and uh, I was watching a lot of and I watched some some Star City games. And Ross uh, Ross Merriam said the most egregious part of the deck is Alter because it gives the deck a a combat free win condition. Yeah, where suddenly is, it's not about attacking with creatures i can stop your creatures with like a you know ensnaring bridge or whatever but then you just still kill me because you mill me 
forever. Yeah. So and you and you mentioned though that like you can put like twenty some power on the board on turn two or turn three, and you, you can turn it sideways for lethal. But you don't even need to swing. You can deck lethal them on turn one. You I don't know about easily, turn one. I know that one, that turn one or turn two. I mean, yeah, yeah there are some really you have to do some really weird hoops to do turn one. But yeah, it can easily turn three somebody without ever turning a creature sideways. But now, but I, I I say turn a creature sideways by attacking. Yeah, not, not remember, convoking. Convoke is di- <laughs> like it's a weird thing. Convoke doesn't care about summoning sickness. So yeah, no, convoke is the most fair cost reduction mechanic that Wizards has ever made, and yet and on even this then, creature. It's still busted on the on Hogak because well, it combined it with Delve. Because Hogak also has Delve, which is probably the most busted cost reduction mechanic. That's that its name isn't Affinity for artifacts. I will um, say there. I will. I I can tell you right now that there is a few cards with Delve that are not straight busted. There's a few. There's not many. There's a few. Logic um, not. Not uh, busted. Magmatic Sinkhole. Not busted. Uh, Murderous Cut. Not busted. Set adrift, which is seeing modern play, which baffles me. Um, Look, set adrift is decent because the deck that was playing was Phoenix and dumps a lot of cards in the yards. No, no, I completely get it. I completely paying, understand. Like it's it's not drawing cards like Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise were, but it's still doing yeah stuff way above its cost rate. Yeah, yeah. but anyways, R and D's logic in the article, which we've put in the show notes, basically came down to three cards: Bridge from Below, Hogak Risen Acropolis, and Altar of Dementia. And ultimately, they decided to hit Bridge from Below. Because that's the card that really makes the engine go. Yes, you now you still have the line of, you know, sack Hogak to alter. Maybe I can recast my Hogak. But now every time you sack Hogak to alter, you're not making two to three two, two to four zombies every time you kill a non-token creature. So it's a much harder loop to achieve. And also it's now also much harder just to combo off. Because now you're not getting free creatures whenever one of your creatures dies. And oh, also, and we should, we should like, also mention too, Vengevine and Bloodgast were also ways to come back from the graveyard yeah. that were very popular. So yeah. there were times where you'd even just get a Bloodgast back and sack the Bloodgast and then get another Bloodgast back and sack the Bloodgast again. And yeah. it would generate like four creatures. Yeah. So Bridge from, and one reason why to ban Bridge from Below as opposed to Hogak versus Alter is that no one is playing Bridge from Below fair. Granted, I don't think there is a way to play it fair. It's only good in these type of busted decks, and like the the decks where it sees play in like older formats is like Vintage Dredge or Legacy. I think it's played in Legacy Dredge. It's just like it's just a very it's a very fair card that does unfair things because like again, if you put it in play, it does nothing, but if it's in your graveyard, it does suddenly everything. And while there is really neat kind of like interplay between bridges because there is sometimes where you have the ability to kill your own creature to get rid of their bridges it's a it's it's not worth this type of deck which had a like 66 percent win percentage in game one still had a 60 percent metagame percentage and was it, it was warping the metagame too much around it playing and forcing people to play like rest in peace Leyland of the voids main deck and surgical Strike was already seeing main deck play because of phoenix so right. it's just something that they wanted to do in order to knock the deck down without actively killing it, which has been Wizards' MO for the longest time yeah. with um, modern bands. The last time they banned something out that wasn't just like, let me just, let's hinder a deck, not kill it, was the last time they basically just outright killed a deck was Twin. Yeah. Um, every other time, even Summer Bloom, like, and we're like, oh God, you killed, you killed Bloom Titan. It's like, well, 
or killed Amulet Bloom. It's like, no, we just killed the Bloom part of Amulet. Amulet Titan's still a deck, guys, and it's actually still a good deck. Yeah, Amulet Titan's a good deck. Um, no, so when my my team for SCG Philly, we we've been kicking a bunch of decks decks back and forth. Uh, one of my players was going to be playing Hogak. Uh, the modern player was going to play Hogak if the bridge vine if something didn't get banned. Obviously, we figured something was going to get banned, but he's basically playing a Faithless Looting deck. Um, that's a discussion for a whole other day about Faithless Looting. Um, <laughs> Which I because there have been articles have. already. There's been articles already out about like faithless looting just should not be the defining card it should not be the single the red mana single mana card of anyways let's modern. move on <laughs> however he was he posted a list that javier dominguez played at to a top eight finish at the re- re- recent red bull untapped series where it was a phoenix deck playing three main deck surgical extractions three yeah but also in the sideboard two leyline of the void and two ravenous trap like the the deck was playing seven graveyard hate cards in the 75. Like in a format like vintage where, you know, be not banning anything, only restricting things, you know, you can pay the price of having eight, nine, ten sideboard cards for dredge, or nine to ten sideboard cards for workshops, depending on what you're worried about. But in the format like modern, it I don't think it's I don't think that's what modern needs to be about. Yeah, it was three surgical, two leyline, two rav trap, and I've seen numbers of leyline go up to three in some of those decks. And it was playing anger of the gods so that you can actually get rid of a couple things if you need to. It's it was absolutely by far warping the format. And yeah, the the main consideration is that people are arguing is did was bridge from below the card to hit and people are saying oh it should have been hogak just get rid of hogak leave bridge and alter there and it's like well you still have basically the the same shell just without the 88 mil milcon now um, my take was ban alter because here's the thing about modern i love it when weird cards see play and like hogak is a really cool card he has an 88 trample for seven mana that you can't spend mana to cast on like that is a really cool card and it's really exciting to see a card like that not just be playable in modern but be good not in this context in the context of the bridgevine decks and the hogak decks that we were seeing but like there was a 5-0 list that got published the other day of a fair hogak deck that did not play that was not playing like altars or anything like that it was just a graveyard deck that was playing hogaks and I, I think that's, that's really cool. cool i yeah i agree that is really cool that they like someone's like hey this is a busted card in this other deck let's make it a little fairer just to prove that once something does go away from hogak bridgevine there we go and obviously they're like usually when you're looking at a deck and something gets banned you look at the name of the deck mm-hmm. and you usually ban something from there i mean obviously it did with bridgevine however uh alter was definitely like they're never going to ban vengevine like i would have banned alter because that's the card that enables the combat the combat free win condition and yeah. making the opponent, and because modern is very much more a creature format than it is a non-creature format, I think that removing altar while leaving bridge and hogak, while it does let you fill the board with zombies, it's they still get you know wrath of god. Let's still let's, still gets destroyed that way. Yeah, let's just say free sack outlets always have a potential to be uh, problematic. Granted, I was on the carrying feeder should be in modern anyways, and I think oh, that's no, no. still correct. But, oh, I love the no, no. Don't get me wrong. Carrying feeder being in modern is amazing, and I'm happy it's in modern. But like you mentioned, it can die to remove. It dies to the creature removal. It dies mm-hmm. in combat. Yeah, alter dimension needs that extra artifact hate. 
Abrupt Decay, Stony Silence, Assassin's Trophy. If you want to be so bold as to play Crows and Grip, stuff like that. A braid. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's definitely a card that is way harder to interact with via normal magic. And plus another thing is too is you can have a carrying feeder out and then you slant, if you're able to live to get your Teferi out, boop, you just bounce it and look at all that work, all those counters you put on carrying feeder gone. Yeah. That's fine. That's fair to me. Like I'm okay with the bridge band. I would have preferred Alter, but I'm happy with how things have shaped out as far as that's concerned. Another question that people also had, be To also be ahead. fair, though, like there also is the potential. Everyone, you know, hates the, hey, look, we printed a card and it's banned now that happened with that happened with Twin in, uh, you know. In, yeah, in MM 2015, yeah. Yeah, it was one of the most recent sets printed and whoop, got banned. But then again, though, remember, Bridge from Below was printed in Ultimate Masters, which came out when? In December. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Alter Dementia, I think if you're going to rank it Bridge from Below, probably the mo- the best card to ban. Alter Dementia was probably the next best option. And Hogak, it, it, the enablers versus payoff debate is continues. very, very, con- very contentious and yeah, continues. Yeah. Um, no unbans. Mention that. Yeah, which um, I think pe- is fine. Some uh some people are still on the RIP ever getting back in Stoneforge Mystic Camp, but honestly, I still, I mean, I don't know what my opinion was last time, but I don't think I, we need Stoneforge. So the last time the BNR announcement came around, Aaron Forsyth said, with Blue Eye Control being one of the best decks, we don't think it's right to unban one of the best white cards into the format. And that is true, but at the same time, I don't know if Stoneforge goes in those decks, and I would be more wary of unbanning Stoneforge now, thanks to Giver of Runes there you being go. in Modern now. Um, yeah. And Giver of Runes is already showing her power. Um, I know that Ross Merriam played a Selesnya Infect deck on um, on versus Live, where yep. instead of playing blue, he was they were playing white for Giver of Runes, basically, to be able to add as an extra layer of protection for your Infect creatures. And current basically i would say reigning scg uh paragon of infect uh aaron barich she is on uh, uh what's it called she was playing bant infect for a while recently um yeah with like so the, if tef- with the, the three teferi and giver probably yeah um i think she was actually off of teferi and just playing for giver that's which fair. is i mean still you know it's at the, when so somebody on, on when somebody's hand. warping, you know, when somebody's warping a very tight blue green infect, I was remember I was kind of wary about it. But I mean, if Aaron is playing it, then you know, screw it. <laughs> what I'll say, <laughs> I, I is, trust him. Yeah, yeah. What I'll say uh, as far as unbanning things is, I think that Stoneforge would be fine because if putting a four four lifelink vigilance into play on turn three is egregious. Then what is the Hokak deck doing that Stoneforge is not good enough, or Stoneforge is too good, yeah. or like early Gurmag anglers, early you know, if my turn three on Storm is kill you, and your turn three is put a batter skull into play, is that really good enough? Like I don't know. And there was someone who replied to the tweets like, or no, this was in a Discord that's like, oh, in EDH, we'll get to that in a second. They banned a card and unbanned another card. Why can't they just ban Batterskull, unban Stoneforge Mystic? I'm like, that's not equatable. Um, <laughs> another <laughs> reason, too, is that 
the EDH rules committee is not a part of Wizards and can handle that whole, hey, we're banning these cards in and out of a format and not have to worry about the flat, the splashback on us with finances. Yeah. So, But speaking of EDH, let's go ahead and move on because there were – well, Bridge for Love being banned from Modern is kind of a small rock in the pool. Uh, I wouldn't EDH. say it's a small. I would say it's a small rock in the pool. It was kind. I would say it's about a. But people ball. saw this. People saw this coming. People expected something to be banned and modern from well, the Hogak deck. Correct. But what I mean is, it was like a, a tennis ball sized rock. You know, yeah. it's going to create some waves in the format. It's going to change things up because obviously Hogak's no longer there. People now have two to three weeks to adjust formats. I know SCG um, Philly in two weeks is going to be so SCG Philly is is uh july 20th and 21st um the modern seats there's going to be no hogak players most likely in those so it's going to be other decks so that's what i'm saying like there's it's tennis ball to softball size thing yeah edh just had a goddamn boulder thrown into it yeah so there were three changes to the bnr announcement we'll start with the probably most uncontroversial one unless you're that one dude who followed ian on twitter um or who tweet who replied or whatever paradox engine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is banned. So Paradox Engine is a five mana legendary artifact from Ether Revolt. Whenever you cast a spell, uh, untap all non-land permanents you control. Turns out this card is a combo piece that just goes off when you sneeze at it. If you look at it funny, it just makes things just really just not fun. Um and one way I look at it is that if you are a named card in Canadian Highlander where you have just you know you're the Paradox Engine combo deck, then you're probably good not being in Commander. Yeah, it's... Funnily enough, like, a lot of people are using the damn card, even, like, in a fair way, which is kind of funny. And even in the most fair way possible, it's still unfair. Oh, yeah, and I'm not, you know, calling out for, you know, it being, oh, God, it's so busted, but, like, I know Olivia is just like, yeah, I didn't even... she She plays brea and has cosplayed as brea mm-hmm. um as thopter mom but even she was saying like this this card is in my deck because it's a good card that synergizes with the artifact strategies that are in my deck she didn't actually warp her deck to combo out around it but it could combo out around it if it want if it if the opportunity presented itself to do so yeah. um honestly i feel like that's kind of the thing too is like are you intentionally gearing your deck to win with Paradox Engine, or can your deck win with Paradox Engine? There's, yeah, it's I had very a, slight and subtle distinction. I had a conversation with someone in our local Discord who was like, I don't get why Paradox Engine was banned. Like, isn't Seaborn Muse like, also just busted? And I'm like, the difference between Paradox Engine and a card like Unwinding Clock, which if you don't know what Unwinding Clock does, it's a four-mana artifact that says you untap all your artifacts on each of the players on tap step, is that while I have done some broken things with Unwinding Clock and Seed War Muse. I have made 13 Seed of the Synods in Commander with uh, with Unwinding Clock. Um, and But Paradox Engine just does it all in one turn, and then everybody dies. Whereas Unwinding Clock is going to stick around for a couple of turn cycles unless somebody immediately deals with it, and I'm going to get a lot of value off of it. Yeah, and, and Seed War Muse, like you mentioned, I use that in my Animorphs deck, where if I have Seed War Muse out and I have, say, the new... No, not the newest Vivian, but... Uh, the one from War of the Spark where you can cast creatures. Who has flash creatures, yeah. Yeah, and then if I have, say, Vinizir, the Menagerie out, and if I have something like, oh god, um, any one of the cards, any one of the creatures that lets me uh, draw a card whenever I play a creature. 
Oh, like a uh, Beast Whisperer or um, there's like a six mana one. Uh, Soul of you know, Harvest. That's the one. But and I've had all of them out on the battlefield before in a game, where literally I'm just untapping. I look at the top card of my deck. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll play this creature. Look at the top card. It's a morph. Oh, my Animar is already on three. Free morph. Draw a card. Free morph. Draw a card. Look at the top card. Oh, free morph. Draw a card. Look at the top card. Okay, I can't play it. Pass the turn. Flip one of my yeah. morphs when I untap with all my mana and draw two cards. Oh, look at the top card. Play a creature. Yeah, it's it can do some dumb stuff when you have other pieces out there. Paradox Engine, like you said, did it on its own. Yeah, and it, like you, you're already playing your Soul Rings, your Mana Rocks. So the the opportunity cost for Engine is just way lower yeah. than it is for other cards. Yeah, and especially if you pair that with a colorless commander like uh, oh Kozilek, the Great Distortion. Yeah. New Lamog, because yeah. the old one's banned still. No, 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 no. Oh, no, the old ones aren't banned. Right. No, it's only... Emrakul. Uh, only, only Eon's Torn Emrakul is banned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways. So, so I'm glad it's not... I'm, but that also kind of triggered another thing, too, which we're going into with the next card, where it also created a pseudo thing of kitchen table ban list and stuff, too, but we'll get into that, yeah. maybe. But So, uh, one other thing on Engine, real quick, is that Gavin Verhey tweeted out that he now has two cards that he has designed that are banned in Commander... Uh, Paradox Engine and Sylvan Primordial, which is a uh, Ripperino on Gavin. It's so but, funny though. Some people, but when Gavin tweeted it, people are like, "Why is Sylvan even banned?" Everyone's like, "Dude, you flicker it literally once, and everyone on the board hates you, and you've gained six land, and you've gotten such an outrageous advantage." Like yeah. all you have to do is flicker it once, and you're and you're already like completely rocketed ahead of everybody. Speaking of outrageous advantages, uh, the other card that was banned <laughs> in Commander is a card that I am. Very happy to see go, and I will defend this ban until the day I die, uh, which is Iona, Shield of Amiria. If you don't know who what Iona does, she is five white, 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 I want to say. She is six. Six white, 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 white. She is nine CMC. Yeah, she's a nine. Is she a nine, nine? She's a seven, seven. I have a card pulled up. Iona, yeah. Shield of Amiria, six, white, 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 legendary creature, angel, originally printed in zendikar at mythic rare reprinted in modern masters 2015 and from the vault angels so she has three printings she is a seven seven flyer which says as iona shield of mary enters the battlefield choose a color your opponents can't cast spells of the chosen color shows how much i cared about her other stats that i did not remember her exact cmc or her power and toughness because the only thing that matters first, for iona is the other two lines of text yeah, first of all nobody is ever paying nine for iona Second. I have seen her cast. I have seen okay. her cast as a commander. All right. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, people. Someone was playing Iona as their commander. You was it like just hate angels? Uh, basically. Okay, that's fair. Um, no. All right, let's clarify this way. Nine times out of ten, people are not paying Iona's mana cost. They're I will cheating agree with her that. out some way. Like whether it's cheating her out via oh god, what's the ramp reanimate show no, and tell the angel that the, the angel that attacks kalia that's Kalia's it kalia. An angel. she's a human cleric but she brings out angels. she does bring out angels yeah so people were calling out ionas and stuff um also with painters servant or other cards oops spilled a little thing there uh i've actually it, it basically this card says if you're a mono mono color deck and that person who has iona is willing to just be like you're not playing the rest of this game they can be like iona name your color and you're just like Hope the rest of the table can deal with it, or I'm just done. Which or is you're like, at a table where everyone's playing like one color in their color identities, and you go, "Okay, I'm going to name black. Good luck killing my Iona, or you know what else, what have you with Iona, because all Iona does 
is it creates unfun game states. And one of the they and the Commander Rules Committee, as part of their update, changed the philosophy document a little bit. Uh, they mainly took out the kind of guidelines for banning because people were taking them as hard and fast rules instead of just guidelines. And Iona definitely creates a lot of unfun board states. I've definitely died to an Iona because they named one of my colors in my deck, and I'm like, well. Never getting, rid of this, hand. never getting rid of this stupid idiot. Um, <laughs> and it, I want to say that Iona is pretty much banned for a very similar reason to Grizzlebrand. While Grizzlebrand will kill people faster than Iona will, Iona effectively ends the game if she comes down and it's like, oh, you're playing mono red? You already have a hard time dealing with a 7-7. Now you can't cast your red spells. Good luck now. And it's just, it just has such a warping effect on the game that I'm not upset to see it go. Now, some people brought up, like, listen, I could... Karn, the great creator, Micah's is allowed to lock you. And that does functionally the same thing. Why is that any different from Iona? The issue is that Iona does it all in one card. Because if you want to assemble a lock like I have with Sidri and Micah's Lattice, turn all your turn all your artifact lands into a zero zeros, oops, they all die. That requires multiple cards to do. But it's very different when I just go slam Iona, name your name the color of your deck. Good luck. And they never be like, oh, but how are we getting Iona into play? It's like, yeah, you can hard cast it still. That's the thing. And it's a singleton card that does that. Yeah, you might cheat Iona into play. But the thing is, if your deck is is cheating Iona into play, your deck is cheating other things into play as well. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's just, you're not, you're not literally, I'm cheating just a single card into play kind of thing. It's, I actually it, played against it the other week when I was doing one of uh, Olivia's uh, Delusions of Mediocrity. Uh, edh games by the way if you haven't go check out uh her stream we'll put it in the link it's a uh, oh god i can't remember her stream name because it's artifact something i'm terrible friend it'll be there go follow her on twitter on twitch um because she's been doing a lot of paper edh if that's your jam i figure i gotta plug it right now while we're talking about it yeah um i will say iona beating an iona is a really great moment oh i know a really it's a great it's, story it's affinity artifacts all one word affinity go. artifacts so um like beating an iona is a great story oh yeah like they're um, fantastic stories but the real thing is that it just when you want to look at the health of the format and talk about trying to maximize the fun of the table iona is what's one of those cards that will just suck all the joy out of it and the reason kind of yeah it sucks all the joy of it but it's been around but the only reason why is because thanks to oh we also i should also mention or we should also mention that or we'd be remiss to is to not mention is that they were actually working in concert with the um, God, commander advisory group, the advisory groups, the CAGs. Um, and apparently I think Shivam was the person who put forth painter servant to be unbanned as why is this card even banned kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there, it's the formats move well beyond painter servant being just utterly uh, too now much of a head, too much of a heavy hand on, you know, the scale. So if you're going to bring Painter Servant back, you kind of got to get rid of Iona because you can just go Painter Servant, name a color, then the next turn cheat Iona out, and then all of a sudden everyone's done playing. Yeah, real quick. Painter Servant is a three-mana artifact two creature. Two-mana artifact. Oh, two-mana artifact creature Scarecrow. It's a one-two. One-three. Uh, one-three. As it enters the battlefield, you choose a color, and then all cards in play and out of play are the chosen color. Yeah, and again, a, the case of John not knowing the power, toughness, or casting cost because who cares? None of those all about, it's all about the text box. I mean, the mana cost matters because there's a legacy combo deck that was, that's uh, Painter Servant plus Grindstone, which Grindstone is still legal in Commander. So if you want to Painter Servant Grindstone people out, be my guest. Mill, baby, uh, mill. Grindstone mill, is a one-man artifact that you can pay 
three to activate, I want to say, and tap it. And you have target player put the top two cards of their library into their graveyard. And if they share a color, repeat. So Painter's Servant plus Grindstone equals you're dead. Um, you're right, by the way. It's one and three to activate. Perfect. I know it's six mana total to play if you play them all in the same turn. Yeah. Um. So, and Painter Servant, is, there's just so many cool things you can do with Painter Servant that aren't locking people out of the game or milling them with Grindstone that I would love to be able to do. And I'm really glad that that's now coming up. Like, one of the things that probably is going to happen is you're going to see someone playing a Mono Red Artifact deck. They're going to play Painter Servant, then they're going to name Blue, and then they're going to Red Elemental Blast your Island. Or red el- or like red elemental blast your primeval titan. Well, that's banned. But what's, what's kind of what kind of what's kind of funny though is you can also mess with uh, colorless players. Yeah, like because <laughs> there are certain things that say only use colorless mana to pay this thing, and if all of a sudden everything is you know not colorless, then gets kind of yeah. weird. It's hilarious. So yeah. I'm just really glad that Painter Servant is unbanned for some of those niche kind of playful interactions but uh, you can't have painter servant and iona in the same format for what commander is trying to be we also should mention too um we kind of i kind of touched a little bit on it um monetary wise um painter servant was not bought out some i saw some people talking about a little griping like oh my god it was bought out like seven hours before thing now it might have seen some spiking beforehand and if that's the case then shame on you if you were, if you had inside insider knowledge, but again, can't complain because whatever, finance. Uh, I had a tweet below about finance today, but whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so Painter Servant went from being an eleven dollar card to a fifty dollar card. So if you had it, congratulations, you now have a spiffy new uh, Ulysses S. Grant in your pocket. I sold uh, my uh, masterpiece uh, a couple of years ago. So so the masterpiece Oops. was sitting. Uh, it had kind of basically since. Uh, UMA came out in December. It basically plateaued. It it had been twenty eight dollars up until right about when uh, Dominaria released. Uh, jumped up to seventy bucks at Dominaria release and settled back in around forty two to forty five dollars until the masterpiece is now a one hundred fifty five dollar card. Yeah. So to be fair, if you sold it in that time when it was in the forties and fifties, that's fine. That's acceptable. Like it, you should not feel bad about that because. EDH players love their their shiny bling. Uh, the regular foil pack foil was basically all but steady at twenty to thirty dollars since you know like twenty. It oh it spiked a little bit, but yeah, it's basically been like a thirty dollar card for forever at this point. Yeah. Uh, and now it's one hundred thirty bucks. But uh, wasn't the the problem with these uh, tracker websites? Unless you're unless it's granular on the hour, you can't really say oh it was bought out seven hours ahead of time it's like all right show me your proof give me timestamps on this thing because all the other trackers were hey look there was a purchase spike it's it's taking it by day so yeah it's taking a snapshot at a certain time of day every day um but in any that's case sa- that's said like dang have fun with that yeah hopefully I'm, I'm opposed... it should open up it, it should open up new, new things right yeah i'm not opposed to anything that uh the ebh rules committee with the with the advisement of the commander advisory group did um with these bans and unbans so maybe this will cause a little bit more um kind of changes in the format who knows i don't know if the um rules committee will be any more or less um proactive in taking out cards that people are upset about but no i think that it's going to be a i think that i think that these changes were good yeah funnily enough there are some people who are actively complaining to wizards 
like when we like so the EDH website obviously got hammered and you know it got borked due to page requests and um got basically four it they basically got basically, DDoSed. It basically got DDoSed. Yeah, it got DDoSed on its on its own volition or i guess its own it happened to itself because of the announcement uh so wizards mirrored the announcement and on the wizards announcement of it everyone's like what the hell this is ridiculous i'm never playing i'm never buying from wizards again everyone just like people were replying to them it's like you know wizards doesn't actually control anything with this format right they literally just post and make cards for the format yeah blake Mason tweeted that they mirrored it on their website because because commander rules committee because the commander website was getting just service denied because yeah. too many people were trying to get there. And, so, but then people, but people were still complaining about wizards and being like, "Oh, I'm never going to purchase cards." People always again. complain to wizards about the commander ban list, and it's just like they don't do anything. They just <laughs> you make might want to go talk to Sheldon. He's over that way. Yeah, so <laughs> at Sheldon it, Menery, but he's yeah, but Sheldon Menery is the actual head. Yes, I think, I think he's the, the. I guess I don't the best know his title. Phrase would be like chairman. I don't know. He's the most visible, uh, I guess, for, at the forefront. Most visible, most, visible. most vocal. Yes. Um, but even so, uh, don't harass people online. It is not fun and it is not cool. We trust you, our lovely listeners, to that you're not – you're of the people who, you know, aren't going to be doing that anyway. So uh, even so, it's I, – I need to build a new commander deck and we're going to do that one of these days. Hey. I need to build it for Olivia's stream. Like I told, so once the commander, the next commander product, I guess we're announces, that's probably be a good time once they announce the actual deck commanders. Cause I'll probably work with you, John, for that. I'll be like, Olivia, pick a commander for me and I'll build it on my show. <laughs> I've already told her we're going to do this. So good. Good. Yeah. yeah. So she picks the commander for me to play on her stream, but I'll build it with talking with John and we'll here because we, we did it I'll with just give you, it? I'll just give you my Brudiclad list because Brudiclad's hilarious dude I actually wanted to build there some is Brudiclad. there is nothing more fun than attacking someone with 13 Inkwell Leviathans that sounds like my jam um <laughs> no so we did this like way back like god over 100 we did it was 100 Akiri episodes the line slinger that was like 100 when I, episodes when I thought what when I thought that partner was dumb um but partner, partner's still ridiculous it's ridiculous, um, but it's not as dumb as I thought it was. No, uh, but yeah, we did we did it with the Line Slinger. Um, we're gonna do it again, but this time it's actually gonna be for a deck to, for me to play. So it should be I'm a fun exercise. It. Yeah, I mean, John is way. I I won't lie. Um, I think the one thing that had been prohibiting me from enjoying and getting way more into EDH, and I even mentioned it like when we were doing the episodes and stuff, is that I just did never had a like a regular play group, and having something like that or I never felt like taking my time going to my LGS and being like hunting down, you know, uh, what's it called? Hunting down games of EDH because you never know what people might bring with randoms unless you're friends with them and all that kind of stuff. But having Olivia and the gang of like Olivia, John, Dave, and the random rotating cast of friends that slot in and out of there, um, it's a rollicking good time. And if you want to actually see some paper magic, uh, we do try to have a little preview up on the thing because obviously it's going to be hard to see some webcams i know i'm trying desperately to get my webcam better for it uh but yeah it's a good time if you want to see some paper magic played um just go follow affinity affinity artifacts uh or go uh livia uh, go bear hicks um g-o-b-e-r-t-h-i-c-k-s um links for all this will will be in the show notes as well so go follow her and all that stuff because she also does amazing metal work too 
and amazing cosplay and she's just a great human and her husband john's hilarious and davy's hilarious we'll also put links for them i guess in the show notes i'll do it and tack it in there um but yeah so edh bands and on bands happened modern god i'm looking to see what some of the next lists are over the next couple weeks um because i'm more of that kind of constructive player i guess can, i'm just glad can, i'm just glad that nothing got hit for phoenix <laughs> i don't like that deck but can i make a can i make a confession yeah go for it for the longest time i thought that olivia's uh twitter was uh gober thicks and i was very confused yeah that like the thing is she says like everyone's like yeah i thought it was thicks and it's like once you realize that it's like her last name is gober hicks uh with a hyphen between the t and the h then it's like oh okay makes yeah. sense but yeah anyways no Ian, it's, it's all good Ian. yeah if people want to find you on the social medias oh. where can they do so yeah you guys can find me on social media at or on Twitter, I should say, at DixonIJ, that's D-I-X-O-N-I-J. And you guys can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix. Uh, I am in the, it's the crunch time, kids. It's 26 days as of recording, actually just about 26 days, if you factor in time differences, uh, till my wedding. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, there's going to be a couple weeks where John's going to have to bring in some guests and such. We'll figure uh, it out. Oh no, yeah, for sure. Uh, but, uh, I am still not streaming currently until that settles down. Um, and there's some other, yeah, that's basically the biggest life stress. that's honestly keeping me out of streaming right now. Um, yeah, until then see me in chat. If I'm around, say hi, John, social media, where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at JWLEY129. That's JWILEY129. You can also find us on, or find me on Twitch at the same handle. If you see me floating around a chat room, do not hesitate to say hi. Uh, if you want to follow the podcast directly, you can do so in one of two ways. You can hit us up on Twitter at Eyes in the Mines, or if you have a more personal question, you can shoot us an email at eyesinthemines at gmail.com. We always love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for you all, our lovely listeners. Uh, on behalf of Ian, I'm John. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next time. Mm-hmm.